Hey everybody, this is Chuck Marone. I've got a real exciting podcast for you today with my friend Steve Mozan, the original Green. Before we get to that though, I want to just remind you, if you're not already a member of Strong Towns, we really need you to become one. Head over to strongtowns.org and get signed up today. We are a membership-driven organization. I've spent a lot of time out on the road the last couple of months doing different speaking engagements. That's a big part of how we pay our bills here, but a bigger part and a growing part is your contributions, donations, memberships. Those are the things that are really helping us to build a, a stable organization. We want to be here for the long term. We want to help you to get out there and build strong places. Go and give us a little bit of support, strongtowns.org. Thanks, everybody. You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. everybody. This is Chuck Marone. Welcome back to the Strong Towns Podcast. This week, I have on the line a good friend, returning guest on the podcast from South Beach, Miami, Steve Mozan. Steve, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Chuck. Great to be here. You know, last time you were on, we talked about your book that had just come out on uh, communicating in the 21st century and how to, in a digital world, get your message out there. Very timely for me, very timely, I know, for other people. You've got an event following up on this coming up. Give us a little insight on what you've got going on. Uh, we do. As a matter of fact, I've been wanting to do an event like this ever since the book came out, so this will be the first one, so we're very excited about it. But basically, what it is is it's a, a full day uh, in Celebration, Florida, and what we're going to do is uh, it, it's a workshop for anybody involved in designing or building places, like everybody from the planners and, and architects and landscape architects and so forth, to the builders, the developers, the craftspeople. You know, basically, if you have any hand in designing or building or even selling it, I mean, I think real estate people would benefit as well. It could be useful. But basically, you know, for the people that aren't fully involved in the new media yet, maybe somebody has a Facebook page or tweets a little bit or something like that, but it's kind of a just a personal thing or whatever, we're going to step through the kind of quickly through the reasons of why this is, in my opinion, actually the future of business. I, I feel like we're in a in a transitional time. It's bigger than anything we've seen in 500 years. I mean, this will be its biggest industrial revolution, I believe. And quite frankly, the, the stuff that used to work simply isn't working well anymore. And so we'll talk about why for a little bit. And then we're going to jump right into a, a dozen new media modes, uh, beginning with blogging, which I feel like should be the kind of the cornerstone of everyone's new media ecosystem, and then microblogging, and of course the one piece of, of the new media that, that actually uh, people have finally realized, yes, I do need this from several years ago, and that's your website. You know, a website, interestingly enough, we were having that debate 10 years ago. People were saying, Jack, do we need a website? Was this <laughs> just some passing fad? I mean, look at how the look at how all the internet stuff crashed in, or was it 2000 or whenever the big bubble burst? Uh, oh, this internet thing is just a passing stand. We, we should ignore it. Now, of course, if you don't have a website, you don't have a pulse. I mean, you're basically considered to be not in business. And so uh, we'll march through the rest of these media as well. It'll be kind of a, a real how-to day. You know, the idea isn't just to talk theory, but to actually get people started on this stuff. As a matter of fact, I'm telling people to 
to bring their smartphones and tablets or, or laptops or whatever. And on each of these nodes, because it's so easy to get going on most of them, I'll actually take a minute or two on each one of them and say, okay, you want to start tweeting? Here's what you do. Go to twitter.com, think about your, you know, what username you want to use for a minute and just sign up, you know, and so hopefully we'll get a lot of people signed up with these various things that they want to join up with before the day's over. And then at the end of the day is something that I'm, I'm really excited about. Creative people tend to be at their best when times are tough. And I don't need to tell you what it's been like for most of us uh, that are designing or building since uh, at the end of 2008. And so I, I really suspect that there's been a whole lot of really cool new stuff that people have developed over these last several years. But because of the fact that we haven't had much in the way of uh, travel budgets until now, you know, I mean, people haven't had any spare money until things have started to pick up recently. We haven't had an opportunity to share that with many people. And so what we'll do at the end of the day will be kind of a swap test of new media ideas. I don't know what people are going to bring to that event, uh, but I'm very excited to find out. This sounds like a, a lot of fun. And I I know you and I hang out with this group of what we've started to call here at Strong Towns, the apes, the architects, planners, engineers, you know, obviously we commune with them and are kind of conversant in the world that they're in. But I read your book and I thought this is stuff that is good for anybody who cares about their place, whether they belong to one of those professions or not. Are you anticipating a pretty broad group of people? Well, that's what I'm hoping for. As a matter of fact, there's more people that are signed up that I don't know than that I do know. So actually, I don't know what all the backgrounds are. But yeah, exciting. My, yeah. my hope and intention is that uh, it be a kind of a broad-based group. Well, tell me how you get signed up. Well, you can either go to muzon.com, and on the homepage, there's a place to register. Or you can go to the book's website, which is, it's a bunch of letters and numbers. It's nm 4 the number 4, db.com. And it was because it was just simply too long to spell out new media for designers and builders. And so it's NM for new media and then the number four for the, for the word for it, and then DB for designers and builders.com. So either one of those, if you go to either of those pages, there's a place to sign up. Now, it's only a $50 tuition because my idea was, uh, it's better to have more people there sharing more ideas than to get, uh, you know, a really big tuition and only have just a few people there. And so, uh, uh, so I, I'd rather share ideas than make more money. And so that's why it's only shifty. It's also, you know, a lot of people go to Disney to, you know, bring their kids and, and visit or whatever. So you might make a weekend of it as well, just a thought. But anyhow, that's coming up two weeks from uh, from this Saturday. Well, and it's interesting just to let people who are out of state know, Celebration is a new urbanist city right outside of the Walt Disney World Resort. It's November November is the cheapest time to travel there. If you are interested in going and, and making a vacation out of it, it's the time where you can literally go on every ride in the park before noon because <laughs> there are not that many people there, but they have everything open and running. So this is kind of a perfect time to piggyback on that. You know, I, I had totally forgotten about that aspect of it. I, uh, my kids are, are all grown now, whereas you still have some kids at home. So yeah, you would you would be more the expert on the, oh, man. On, on those things. To, my wife and I used to travel you know, almost exclusively in late September through mid-November. Every place we went, it was really cheap. We could go a lot of places on little dime. And, you know, the lines were pretty short regardless of where you went. 
So now with kids, we're stuck with summer vacation and spring break. So like everybody else, we pay premium dollar and all that, but. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Those for <are> the days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we're having fun. <laughs> so you and I have been wanting to for quite a while just chat about social media and the work that we do. I'd like to make this podcast kind of one of those crib sheets for people who want to do the kind of work that you and I do. We desperately need people out there in communities across the country sharing the Strong Towns message, the original green message, in their words, with their people in their neighborhoods and their communities. Let's talk a little bit about some of the tricks of the trade that you and I use to get our message out. And I'll start. I have a program that I use called Buffer. And Buffer is one of these things I came across a little while back. What it does is it helps you create a kind of social media drip campaign. One of the problems that you have when you use social media, (laughs) I hear your puppies in the background. Yeah, they're in their bed, but you can still hear them a little bit in the background. Sorry about that. <laughs> oh, no, it's fine. We, I've got a train parked outside my window here, and it just is making noise, not going anywhere. At some point, it'll start up and, and cruise away. But All right. So, Buffer, one of the things I found when I was posting to social media is that I, I can't do it all day. Uh, if I'm going to be productive, I've got to, you know, I read the news in the morning. I typically read the news in the evening, but I've got a routine where during the day I try to get stuff done. So I, I can't be on Facebook and Twitter all the time, but I've got stuff that I want to share and information I want to kind of build. What Buffer does is it allows you to essentially share the things that that you want in the way you want to this Buffer application. And then what Buffer does is it drips it out on a schedule that you set throughout the day. The, there's two advantages of it. First is that drip capacity. So like I will be flying on a plane and I'll be sharing stuff on Twitter and Facebook at the same exact time because it does it automatically when I'm not there. The other thing is that it allows you to share across multiple platforms at the same time. So I can write one status update or two status updates and on one particular article I want to share or one particular thought, and it will go out to eight different channels that we've got set up uh, without me having to go to each one individually. The website is Buffer App, so B-U-F-F-E-R-A-P-P. I'll put a link to all the stuff we talk about on the website. But that's one that I highly recommend just because it really has pumped up our social media engagement a lot without any additional work on my part. Well, you know, I, I got introduced to, to Buffer just a couple of days ago by a mutual friend of ours. As a matter of fact, I think she tagged you on the uh, yeah. on the post as well. So I just started to play with it. And I do have a couple of questions for you. First of all, it seems like a fabulous idea. In most cases, when I get some time to do something like that, uh, you know, to, to do any, I, I find myself wanting to post to Twitter at 11 p.m. or 1 a.m. or whatever. And, and uh, of course, no one's, uh, or at least not that many people are, are around in this part of the world to be reading those tweets or whatever. And, and so they wouldn't get that good of a result. So something like Buffer, which, which seems like a fabulous idea, would solve that problem. A couple of things for you. Did you go ahead and, and pay for the pro version, or I think they call it the awesome version, or are you still using the free version? You know what? I just thought of that as you were saying that, because I did use the free version for a while, but it was rather limited. 
And I upgraded to pro and I forgot I even did that. It was one of those things where I said, Oh my gosh, I'm using this and I know I can maximize my time with the upgraded version. So I'm pretty sure that I did upgrade. Yeah. In fact, I, I'm going to, I'm yeah. going to say I'm pretty positive I did. Just uh, ask Buffer if you're awesome. That's a, that's a good term for their pro version. But uh, <laughs> anyhow, <laughs> so see if you're awesome or not, and then you'll know. Another thing is, is uh, what's your time schedule for sending stuff out? Like I, I went in there and I just set uh, some kind of random times every hour or so. But is there a particular minute of the hour that, that you found more effective? Or, or have you even drilled down that deep yet to actually see what gets the best result? I actually did tweak it uh, quite a bit. One of the things that I found is that there's a certain wave of people that when they get into work, they're ready to engage. The early morning hours are are good, but even more than that is right after lunch. When you get people in that noon time or right after that, it's kind of the peak social media time. I saw this one chart uh, a couple of years ago that I think Jen Krause, our mutual friend that you mentioned earlier, Jen sent me this chart earlier too that showed engagement over the course of a week. And it was the highest point was Wednesday at one o'clock PM. That was the day when most people had essentially the free moment of time to be the most engaged. So what I found when I goofed around with it was that that held true. The early morning and the early afternoon were kind of the two peak times. Once you got into the late afternoon, it got a little bit less in terms of engagement. And then, you know, in the evenings, it wasn't quite as robust either. So what I've set up my drip is a couple early morning, one right before noon, one a little bit after, and then one towards the end of the day. And I only do mine on weekdays. I don't do evenings and I don't do weekends. So it's almost a professional thing. I'm trying to, in my own life, say, okay, I have a life. (laughs) You know, evenings and weekends, I need to be able to not be deeply engaged in this stuff the way that I am when I'm on. So I try to, you know, respect the people who are engaged with me in that same way. And I limit myself to just the weekday periods of time. That has seemed to kind of tweak things in a way that has been real productive. Wow. Now that's great information because I, I had no clue what to do schedule-wise. And, you know, I, I found with the Buffer mm-hmm. app, Twitter with the retweets is so much of a, a more dynamic platform in terms of the volume but not necessarily as dynamic in terms of the depth of the content. You know, Facebook, even LinkedIn, and to a lesser degree, Google Plus, provides a a lot more depth in terms of the conversation. In Twitter, I've actually upped the number of tweets to like seven or eight a day. And then on Facebook, have knocked it down to only about five. And those five are at those strategic times. And the Twitter ones kind of... You know, it's still during that window, but there's more rapidity. There's there's more stuff there. I don't hold myself to as high a standard on Twitter either as I do on Facebook. You know, one thing I've done just recently, I noticed uh, Galena Tacheva doing it, and I thought I'd give it a try. Basically, she has Twitter set up to auto post to Facebook, and so basically anything she tweets gets onto Facebook as well. And I I've tried it for a while now, and actually there's a there's a different sort of conversation that occurs as a result of those tweets than there are that would happen, you know, on Twitter itself, just simply because you have 
uh, room for, for more conversation or depth. And, and I'm, I actually kind of like it. I don't normally automate much of anything, it, you know, and so it almost feels like cheating. But on the other hand, if it starts a different conversation that's a valuable one, then, then uh, what's the downside of that? And so I'm, I think I'll continue that for a while. The only problem is, is, is that then you do get, you know, that it does end up with, with as many posts on, uh, or actually more posts on Facebook than you would have on Twitter if, if, if you do that. Have you ever tried that or what's your thoughts on, I, I on have. the auto post? And this is maybe going to reveal something about me that, you know, my obsessive compulsive disorder tendencies at times. <laughs> when you post to Twitter and then it automatically goes to Facebook, one of the things that it does that annoys me personally is that it puts the link in the status update. When you post to Facebook, you can put the link in and then what Facebook does is it just creates this really nice box with the content, you know, whatever pictures come from there and whatever content. And then you can actually delete the link and post your status update. And it just looks a lot cleaner. It looks a lot cleaner. And to me, when people post on Twitter and then it comes over on Facebook, I know that they're not engaged because I know it's one of those automatic things. And it's also got that little link thing in there. It's kind of like from an architecture standpoint, when the average person looks at a building and says, oh, that's nice. And then you go in as an architect, you know, with your eyes and look and say, oh my gosh, there's all these tiny little tiny things that just bother me. Right. That's one of those little tiny things that bothers me. To me, it's kind of sloppy. I'm just realizing just as you talk about this, that that actually with Buffer, what you can do, you know, it gives you the choice of, of uh, posting something to either place. And I'm going to try that. So far, I've only posted to one or the other with Buffer, but uh, mainly to Twitter. I'm going to try taking off the auto post from Twitter to Facebook and then just controlling it from Buffer and then seeing if that ends up with a cleaner result. One other thing that Buffer does a really good job of is if you post from a page that has an image on it, to Twitter, it actually posts the image in Twitter, and and of course, as anyone knows, for visually oriented people, if there's a if there's a stream of tweets and some have images and some don't, then you probably pay more attention to those with the images than those that don't. But it just catches your eye, and so that's one thing I'm really liking about Buffer that that is new to me. Like I said, the whole thing is new to me. I've only been aware of it since. Uh, what, I guess it was Monday when Jim posted the right. uh, that thing about it. Yeah, well, I, I actually, and this is the OCD again, everything that I post, I post twice because I post it once to Twitter with the link. And then I post it to Facebook w- without that link so that I can get actually Facebook, LinkedIn, Google+. They all have the same kind of interface where you don't have to include the actual URL in your post through Buffer. And it just comes through looking so much nicer. Well, obviously, I have a little work to do to, to kind of uh, fine-tune all of that. So that th- this is fabulous information. I, I really do appreciate that. It's uh that this has been very, very helpful so far. One thing, by the way, for any of your listeners that you're probably far too modest to tell of this, but I'm going to tell a couple of stories on you that I think might be helpful because it's certainly been helpful to me. I don't know if you remember this or not, but several years ago, you came down to interview me for for some things on Strong Towns. And I asked you, I said, Chuck, you know, I, I, I so admire how dedicated you are to blogging. You're, you're just very regular with it. I'm not nearly so regular as you are. How is it that you have the discipline to pull that off? And you said, well, you know, some people are completely 
I think you even used the term religious about something like going to the gym and working out. And you said, for me, blogging is my workout. It's the thing in my life that I'm going to be absolutely rigorous about and, and I'm going to get done and I'm going to let other things go so that I can blog. And I've, uh, I've thought of that many times since then. Whenever I've lagged behind a while and, and, and let it go, I now have a schedule. Uh, I do the original green on Monday. I do Studio Sky on Wednesday, Design Design on Thursday. And then either we do this because uh, or useful stuff on Friday. And so, uh, but if, if I've missed a week or two, I always tell myself, Hey, you got to be like Chuck. You, you know, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta hit the gym or you <laughs> gotta hit the keyboard and, and, uh, and get back on this stuff. So, yeah, I, I really appreciated that for the year or two or however long it's been since we had that conversation. Well, thank you. That, that's very kind. I do think, and for all the people listening out there, it is one of those things, particularly when I was getting started, where you do the couch to 5K thing and you don't go out and run a marathon right away. You go out and run a, a little bit and you walk a little bit and you run a little bit. And eventually over time, you build up to where you can run a 5K. Uh, and then, you know, you do that for a while and maybe you get to the point where you can run a 10K or maybe you're just happy doing a 5K. But the idea is, even if it's just a, a well-written tweet, you know, 140 characters, if you're sitting down and intentionally doing something every day, write a paragraph, write two paragraphs. You'll eventually find that that writing muscle grows stronger and stronger over time and you just get better and better. So yeah, a lot of people are kind of astounded. Maybe here comes the train by my place. They kind of say, you know, how do you, how are you so prolific in writing? Cause we do, I do write a lot. It's because that muscle has been really well exercised over the years. Well, speaking of that, let me, let me quickly move over to Twitter for just a moment yeah, please. Uh, in, in a, a similar thought. You know, a lot of people think that, that Twitter is just an avenue for putting out uh, just quick, ill-conceived thoughts that, that you just zip off and, and, you know, just stupid stuff. And some people actually use it that way. Actually, it gets used that way pretty frequently, you know, just in the culture at large. But in my mind, Twitter is it's an amazing tool for creating great discipline of, of thought. Let me put it this way. If you can't boil an idea down or distill an idea down to 140 characters, you may not understand that idea well enough yet. And Amen. and so Amen. you know, and, and real profundity occurs normally in in short increments. Somebody told me recently, and I didn't even realize this, that when Lincoln gave the Emancipation Proclamation, which was I think five minutes long or something like that, there was another speaker that day that went on for like three and a half hours or something like that, and nobody even remembers who the guy was, much less what he said. Whereas uh, uh, Lincoln's five minutes or however long that took is etched in the annals of time, you know, and, and so the uh, the basic idea is I, I found Twitter to be a, a great device for actually uh, forcing me to be disciplined about the way I think and actually getting to a profound bit as opposed to a bunch of blather. You don't have to use it that way. You know, it's like if somebody could go to the gym and just walk around with a towel around their neck and actually do nothing, or they could really get down to work and actually produce meaningful uh, effects and uh, Twitter can do either one. It's your choice. I couldn't agree more. And in fact, my board uh, this last summer said to me, we want you to take our body of thought and put it into 
six tweetable statements. <laughs> and, and I said, yeah. you know, are you serious? That's like, great. I've been writing for five years. I've, you know, put together these books. I put together, you, you want me to boil this down to six tweetable statements? Steve, the act of doing that was so revealing to me. I'm going to read the six to you real quickly. I like them. There's still a work in progress, but here's the six. And I, I think that, you know, just the fact, like you said, you've got to write in 140 characters. So here's the first one. Financial solvency is a prerequisite for long-term prosperity. Number two, land is the base resource from which community prosperity is built and sustained. Number three, a transportation system is a means of creating prosperity in a community, not an end unto itself. Four, job creation and economic growth are the results of a healthy local economy, not substitutes for one. Five, local government is a platform for citizens to collaboratively build a prosperous place. And six, strong towns are made of strong citizens. Now, there's still a little bit of jargon in there, and it still is not as simple as, you know, and elegant as maybe it needs to be. But the fact that I've taken six years of writing <laughs> and boiled it down into 700 characters, that was a real kind of focusing event for me to have to do that. It kind of was like, who are you? What are you about? Well, here's, here's what it is. You know, here's one thing, and I, I'm going to take this back into the realm of urbanism for just a moment, but if you go down to what I call the design coast of Florida, and that is seaside to Rosemary Beach and then the surrounding area, what you'll notice is, is that there's a lot of knockoffs. But what you'll also notice, if you look closely, is that at the scale of the doorknob, the knockoffs of seaside or Rosemary are absolutely, completely perfect. You just go by the same doorknob or whatever. At the scale of the window or the door, they're almost perfect. They might get a few things a little off, but pretty much it's easy to copy. At the scale of the building, you know, they're really getting some stuff screwed up. At the scale of the neighborhood, most of the knockoffs don't get it at all. Basically, what it amounts to is, is you get the scale of something smaller and smaller. It becomes more comprehensible, and it can it can better spread, you know, in a reliable fashion. You know, you think of the old game that, that the kids used to play uh, called telephone, you know, where you whisper something in, in somebody's ear and it goes around the room. If what they whispered was only one word, it would actually come around the room perfectly fine. But if you're trying to com uh, communicate something more complex, by the time it gets around to the last kid, it's something entirely different. you know. And, and so the point is, is that I, I strongly feel that the more we can distill things, the further they can spread in a reliable fashion and in a very useful fashion. And that, that really is the whole point. Because here's the thing. None of us are going to be here forever. And if all we do is to do something that those who are listening to us enjoy, then we're nothing more than entertainers. Okay, that's what an entertainer does. Right. But if we do something that can actually take on a life of its own and spread without us having to be here, then then we've started something that I call a living tradition. It can outlive us and even our children or grandchildren. It can do good long into the future with, with people we will never meet in places we never would have gone. I totally agree. Let me add another one. I want to talk a little bit about video. And, you know, you paid a compliment to me about something I inspired you on. I I'm going to do likewise. One day I was looking at your website and there was this link to uh, OG TV, original green TV. And here's this kind of crazy guy 
<laughs> walking around, you know, <laughs> <laughs> measuring. I, I remember the one distinctly. You you were talking about how small this one grocery store was and how you could put a grocery store. You could put a grocery store anywhere. Look at how big this is. And you're actually pacing it off. And, you know, there's people standing there off kind of on the side of the screen, like staring at it, like, who is this guy <laughs> walking around here? You know, you basically had your, your iPhone and we're using that camera and narrating what you were looking at. And I took that and said, this is brilliant. There's so many things that I run into and I see day in, day out that I just want people to be able to see what I'm seeing. So we started at Strong Towns. We started See It Differently TV. I stole your idea and I started doing just that. And, and I would stand on the street corner and say, here's what I'm seeing. And I can't say they've been a huge success. I mean, we've never had one, you know, breakthrough to have like 20,000 views or anything. But in terms of being able to tell a very detailed, specific story about, you know, fine grain kind of things, the video format is a really, really powerful format that you can do with pretty low, I don't want to say low production quality, but, you know, a very low bar to entry with a smartphone. And you can share a pretty powerful message pretty quickly. Talk about video a little bit. I'm really glad to hear you say that because I've, I've sort of slacked off on doing that type of video. And I'll tell you why. A year ago, I was on a trip that was uh, done by the Seaside Institute to Cuba. And they have almost no pickpocketing or theft down there because they're all in fear of the government uh, for good reason. I mean, that, that those guys are known for for not a good prison environment. You know? <laughs> so people don't normally steal stuff. But anyhow, somebody got my camera. And so, uh, but it was one of the best things that ever happened to me because when I came back, I, I got a new one that is just an absolute beast. It's a Nikon D610, and I bought it purely for the still camera aspect without really even thinking about the fact that it's an awesome video camera as well. Over the last year or so, I've been doing a fair amount of, of filming of, actually filming of other people talking about stuff. And for example, I've got a bunch of sessions from uh, from CNU this summer of which I, I need to to get up. I, I've got to get back on getting those up. I've had a lot of things going on. I've got a bunch of stuff. Of uh, I've got one uh, lean session I dressed in, a, a bunch of other stuff as well, where I'm filming other people. And a couple of things about that, and let me just throw this out, uh, a few things I learned. Number one, the first thing I ever filmed after getting the, the, the new camera was the Seaside Prize back in January. And I had my old still tripod. And, you know, it was fine if you were taking still pictures. But what I discovered quickly is if you're trying to pan and follow somebody walking across the room or whatever, it makes all kinds of jerking motions and even noises and stuff, and it just hit it. It was terrible. And so there's there's a thing called a fluid head tripod that if you're doing this sort of filming, uh, you really have to get one. Now, you can spend two or $3,000 on one of those, but uh, I found one that was available on uh, on Amazon for like, 99 bucks or something like that, and, and I got it, and it, it's been a great tripod. Another thing, too, and that is that uh, if you're filming a speaker in, in the distance, then you really ought to think about uh, getting a pretty good microphone. I've got one that Nikon makes uh, for the camera that's omnidirectional, and then I got another one. I don't know how you pronounce this, but it's spelled R-O-D-E. I think it's just Rode, and it's uh, apparently the best of the, of the shotgun microphones that's at least it's compact and the mere mortals can afford. And so both of those are good for varying conditions according to whether you're 
uh, going right at someone and there's a conversation going on between people kind of across the room or whatever. And so I'm, I'm getting fairly good, at least for an amateur, at that sort of video. But I do need to get back to what you just described of the bringing out the, the iPhone and, and, and filming a scene wherever I happen to be that I notice something useful. Uh, because those short clips, you know, I mean, it's, it's so easy to do and so easy to put up that I think it might be useful. Another thing, too, that I ought to mention, you mentioned that none of yours have really hit uh, like 20,000 views or whatever yet. I had a blog post that I did a couple of years ago uh, about when the big debate in the Apple realm about skeuomorphism was going on. And when I first, and it was kind of a weird thing to put on the original green blog, but I did anyway. And at first it, it did basically nothing at all. I had maybe 50 readers or something like that. And somehow I have, I, well, I actually I do know how somebody from Wired picked it up and they wrote about it. And so now at this point, it's had like 10,000 readers. But my point is, is that one of the big attributes of any of these new media nodes is patience, because what you do today may not be viewed by very many, but it could be that for reasons you, you can, I mean, I had no clue that Wired would even see it, but for reasons that you cannot anticipate, uh, it may be a six months or a year or two years down the road, it will, it will reach a lot of people and help a lot of people, even if it doesn't do that, you know, right out of the gate. Let's talk a little bit about making that happen, because link love is a real important part of blogging, part of social media. Very early on, I had the time and the ability and the low traffic volumes on my site to be able to track where every single person arrived. And one of the things that I did was when I would see someone who picked up our stuff and linked to it, I would do a shout out back to them. I, I have... I do the Friday News Digest, which is a kind of compilation of things that I've read throughout the week, but I go a little bit more depth and add some context to each of them. But I always tried to lead off the Friday News Digest by highlighting people who highlighted me. That was one of those things where it just seemed like a respectful thing to do. And then after the fact, I realized, no, that's actually a pretty savvy thing to do as well, because when you drive traffic to someone else, it kind of perks them up a little bit and says, oh, okay, I get it. Let me you know, highlight more of your stuff. And all of a sudden, all these places are you know, not only picking up one thing here and there, but are starting to pick up more and more and more of my stuff. The other thing that I've started to do now a little bit, just as a, as a person who has built up quite a decent sized audience now, is I've felt the compulsion to do the same thing to others that, that people once did to me. So I, I try to dig through the stack and find the obscure sites that are talking about interesting stuff and give them, you know, for as much as I can, a little bit larger platform to do that on. So what about link love? That's a great topic because uh, uh, there's actually been two people, uh, Kate Benfield uh, and Lloyd Alter, it started noticing my stuff back when, when I might have 10 readers or whatever, you know, I mean, just nobody. And they have these huge audiences. And, you know, if you do a, a site search on either one of them, you'll discover they've, they've talked about me. I mean, dozens, if not hundreds of times. I mean, it's just like a continuous stream of, of link love uh, from those two guys. Yeah. And I, I have no clue how many readers I now have as a result of them that I didn't have before. But, you know, one thing that I'd, I'd make a big point of in the new media book and that is that, for the most part, 
when people are writing, they're quoting the wrong people. The, the normal thing to do is to is to quote all of the big experts, you know, the people that have been around that are kind of in the latter part of their career and all this. And, you know, I, they might appreciate it, but what good is it really going to do? I mean, everybody knows about about all the big heroes already anyway. So you're not sending a lot of new people to them that didn't know about them before. But if what you do is instead to do exactly what you just described, which is to, to seek out the younger people, the ones that, that don't have the prominence yet, but that nonetheless have the great ideas, like, for example, not from a new media standpoint, but from an architectural standpoint, there's a, a guy named Kenny Kraft that is, in my mind, uh, possibly uh, the greatest new architect or the young architect of uh, of his generation and and uh, doing some of the most fabulous work out there right now that very few people have heard about him in, until recently. And so I talk about him pretty frequently. I, I've got actually somebody that I've admired her work for so long now that, that we're now partners in a, in a firm along with uh, Eric Moser. The firm is called Studio Sky. Uh, and it's Julie Sanford. She's the greatest undiscovered treasure of, of lovable architecture, in my opinion. And, and uh, so I, I love talking about her because nobody knows about her because she's incredibly shy. It does it just wonderful, even kind of almost mystical work, you might say. And and so when you bring to your audience people that that they don't already know that are really cool, I think your audience appreciates that more than if you're just talking about the same old warriors that they've known about you know, ever since they were in school. And, and so not that you shouldn't ever mention, you know, Andres Duane or, or Bob Stern or, or, or whoever, Robert Davis, uh, you know, but, but if that's all that you talk about, you know, you're, you're not helping to expand the cause, nor are you presenting your readers with the most interesting stuff, which is, you know, interesting is very often what you don't already know. If you've heard it before, and if you know it all, that that's one definition of boredom is telling me something I already know. Let me throw a couple of websites at you and get your reaction. Not websites, but like tools. Google Plus. Yeah. What do you think of Google Plus? You know, when Google Plus first came out, it it seemed like it was uh, was going to be a great thing. And at this point, I'm kind of questioning: Does anything happen there anymore? I I, I just don't see. It seems to kind of. Faded. Of course, again, podcasts seem to have faded. Uh, matter of fact, for a long time, people thought podcasting was dead, and that's what we're doing right now. And you've had great, uh, great experiences with podcasting. And so, I'm not saying Google Plus won't come back around, but, but I, I don't have, I don't have a good feeling about it right now. Have you tried Vine? You know, I've heard of Vine, but I can't even tell you what it does. All I know is that it exists. I, I've never really spent any time with. Okay, Vine is to you know video what Twitter is to blogging. You, you can post essentially a seven second clip. You know. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And that's that's all you get. You know, you get the basically a short clip. It's not my venue. I have not done Vine yet. But I've seen some people put some interesting things together. Again, like Twitter, a, a whole bunch of stuff that's not worth your time, but then nuggets of brilliance that are far above and beyond because of, because you're forced to work in a small increment that are f- far above and beyond, you know, what you would normally get in other places. So I've, I've spent some time thinking about it and kind of looking for the right opportunity, but I've, I've not been able to come up with one yet. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I, I'll have to check into it. I, I had, I really know nothing about it at this point. Have you had any experience with the site Clout? Actually, yes. Clout has actually been a very interesting thing to me. I've just now 
just begun to share stuff on cloud. Uh, until now, I've just simply gone there to, to, to see what a rating is and, and uh, you know, just kind of entertainment, it just uh, self-amusement, I guess you might say. I actually looked the other day, and I was just 60, so I was happy about that. You're probably 75 or something. You know, <laughs> so, you know, uh, I, I actually just looked you up. You're 64. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I'm actually I'm up to 69. Se- wow, okay. 70 is 70 cool. supposedly is if you're over 70 you're in the top 2% of all social media people so it's an interesting algorithm like any algorithm there's obviously ways to game it there's sites that go into depth about clout but for people who don't know clout is a a site that scores your social media influence presence and the higher the score, the the bigger your presence is. Barack Obama is somewhere in the 90s. You know, the Kardashians are somewhere in the 90s. The average score is somewhere around like 35 or 40 or something like that. There is a certain vanity thing to it. But it's also been interesting to me to watch because over time, I've been doing the same thing. And I've seen my score like slowly, slowly, slowly start to creep up. And in some ways, it's been kind of a measure of success. I don't know if you see it that way or not, but I try not to discount people when their when their score isn't high. But when their score is high, it's one of those things where I'm like, oh, okay, you're reaching a lot of people, I guess is the easiest way to say it. Well, I'll tell you what I've done just recently. Actually, let me go back a notch and to tell you another thing I've done recently to then lead into that, and that is for... For quite a while, actually most of this year, I've done exactly what I've advocated against in my book and, and actually in many blog posts and all this uh, over the years. You know, they call it social media because you're supposed to be, you're supposed to engage, not just broadcast. And, but unfortunately, over the last uh, several months, I'd kind of lapsed into the, the lazy mode of, of just simply putting my stuff out there, not engaging much with people, knowing all the time that it, that was a really bad idea. And so finally, I, I kind of shook myself out of it and I said, no, Steve, you got to practice what you preach. You can't, you can't do this. You got to start engaging again. So I found a couple of things that are really good tools for that. Uh, Feedly is a, is a feed reader that's the, the best I've found. And what I do is that anytime I'm someplace that I can't be doing anything else, you know, at some time that, that the normal reaction might be to play a computer game or something like that. Instead, I'll be reading the feeds. Now, in Feedly, you load in the feeds that, that you tell it you want to read. So obviously, I've got Strong Towns. I've got, you know, a, a lot of the other folks that, uh, that I like to follow. And so, uh, it's a good discipline of, of reading all of their stuff and, and then commenting where you have something to offer, you know, that's a meaningful part of the, the conversation. That's been a really good thing. And then also, we have started with, with an app called News 360 and that kind of selects stuff out of general categories of interest that are tailored I'm interested in. And that would bring in things that, you know, from people that I don't necessarily know anything about is one way of getting acquainted with them to see if, hey, is this person talking about a lot of the stuff that, that uh, means something to me and to, and to my audience? And then maybe I should start uh, following them on, on Feedly. Another thing that I've started to do is to, just very recently, is to go to cloud. And if you actually get the, what is it? There's some kind of an add-on for your browser that if you add the the cloud add-on, whatever it's called, then if you go to Twitter, then in every, in the Twitter stream, it lists everybody's cloud rating right beside them, beside their avatar 
on every one of their tweets. And so, if you my, my thought is because Cade and and Lloyd have been so good to me, you know, if you find some more people like that, that would be a great thing. Now, this sounds totally Machiavellian, but no, uh, I so get what, it. what I'm doing is, you know, I, I'm saying, hey, if there's people that rate high and that are saying things that are meaningful to me and to, and to people that follow me. Maybe I ought to put them in Feedly so I can read them regularly and start commenting, and maybe they might someday first and love my way as well. And so that's how that that whole loop closes into something that uh, that, that I think may end up being useful to to all of us down the road. I'll flip that around and say, you know, what I've seen people do that that <laughs> I, I found just brilliant was people will post stuff and then they will just copy me. Like on Twitter, they'll post something from their blog and they'll say, you know, just like at Strong Towns or, you know, something that at CL Marone would say. And I'll look at that and I'll say, well, huh, I wonder what that is. And if I click on it and it's actually interesting, in a sense, they've hooked me in. You know, now they've alerted me to this and hooked me in. And I'm reading their content and I'm in a position now to, to share that with, you know, a little bit bigger audience than what they've got. And, and, you know, there's a lot of times when people do that and it's junk and then you kind of get a sour taste in your mouth. But I have met quite a few people through Facebook, through Twitter who have done that and provided really, really valuable stuff. I do have to say people email me all the time articles. 15, 20 times a day, I'll get articles from people. And sometimes it's the same one. You know, there'll be something that's hot that's floating around and everybody sends it to me. That is a hit or miss kind of thing. And my Minnesota side of me tries to send a response and a thank you to everyone. But I've actually gotten to the point now where I, if it's just a link to an article, I actually sometimes don't even read them. I just have to bypass them just for the sake of time. But it's one of those things on Twitter that, you know, has worked for me to suck me in on things. And, you know, I suspect doing it in both directions would, would work very well. Yeah, I've had a similar experience to, uh, to what you have. Not, not as many articles, uh, not sent that way quite so frequently, but I, I get a lot of that as well. And, and, and my response is the same. I, it turns me, I, I try to always read them when I can, but again, because I don't get 20 a day, then, then, uh, I have the luxury of, of doing that more often, and but yeah, very often it, it introduces me to to someone, or at least to some idea that I didn't uh, didn't know before, but found very valuable afterward. Hey, one of the things that I thought I'd mention real quickly that that I found very useful, and that is that if I'm at an event that there's a speaker who is the slightest bit quotable, uh, I will tweet cast that event. You know, where I, and basically what I'm doing is I'm just taking notes from me. Absolutely. Okay. I'm just Absolutely. taking them on Twitter. That happens to be where I'm taking them. And what will happen over the course of a day, like at a CNU or something like that, over the course of the day, from those tweets getting retweeted to people that I don't know, uh, from people that do follow me, I will very often get 10, 15, even 20 new followers in one day as a result of tweet casting uh, that event. Now, just recently, one thing that I've done that, that I think that Buffer is going to be really awesome for I've just started something. It's it's what I'm calling the CQ hashtag, which means classic quotes. Because what I do it, it's when I tweet cast an event, then I'll go back at the end of the day and and collect all those tweets and do uh, an original green blog post 
with all of those tweets in one place, like documenting a day or sometimes it takes two or three posts. Oh, that's perfect. Uh, like for a day of 10 you. And, and then I can go back, now I can go back very easily, you know, a year or two or three later. And like, say, for example, I was doing a, a classic quotes, a bunch of tweets from, from your, your session at CNU when you were the keynote of that last session, what, two years ago or whenever it was. Right. And was getting a lot of retweets again from that. Matter of fact, I got a bunch of followers from, uh, uh, from that classic quotes episode. So it, it was almost as good to me the second time around as it was uh, on the day that it occurred. So anyway, that, that's a couple of things I found useful with Twitter that, that you might have a look at. I totally agree. Our friend Edward Erfurt does that. You know, it, when Edward gets going, I mean, you can, you're there because, <laughs> you know, he's so yeah, good but, at doing that. Matter of fact, when Edward and I are at an event, it's always, it's kind of a little bit of a competitive thing to see who can <laughs> uh, do the best podcast. And, and uh, he was pissed off at me one time. He said, how are you getting more of these than me? And then he turned around and he looked and I had my, I had my laptop and I had it tethered with my iPhone. So I was typing on a full-size keyboard and he was trying to do it on a, right. uh, on his phone. So I think now he brings his laptop from, from now on, uh, <laughs> because you really can type a lot more stuff, uh, that way than you can just on a phone. He's, you, know? you forced him to up his game. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And by the way, you said something a few minutes ago. You said, I stole that idea from you. Let me say this. It, it, this, this is an emphatically important thing. The new media or collection of what I call living traditions that have all sprung up in, in, in less than the last 10 years. Now, the operative act of, of tradition is copying someone else's idea. Now, in the old, uh, what I call the era of the company, which I feel like is now ending, companies won't end, but they will no longer be the centerpiece of our lives that they have been over the last uh, several decades or even centuries. But in the old times, if you took someone else's idea, they called it plagiarism, and they, they might have even sued you for it. In the new, uh, what I'm calling the age of the idea, which I feel like is now dawning, when you operate by living traditions, then if no one is copying your work, then that's when you should worry. You know, when someone does copy your work, you ought to consider it to be a really great thing, and so it becomes a part of the, this new living tradition. So we really have to adjust our minds from thinking that all our ideas are proprietary to loving it when someone else finds our ideas worthwhile enough to actually use them themselves. I could not agree more. And, you know, I, I told you when I was stealing your idea and you said, oh my gosh, please do. <laughs> and I think that's not only the spirit of where we're at America circa 2014, but I also think that, you know, for people who are, if you want to use, go back to the term Machiavellian, it's the way to position yourself business-wise today. I think it was Mike Lydon who said to me, this content and the ideas we've got to share, that's how, you know, we're going to get this, this stuff out there. And the business model is not going to be holding the idea as our own. The business model is going to be, okay, now I'm going to come and help you understand what that idea means, what it means to you, how we can adapt it here locally and that kind of thing. But it's not going to be the proprietary idea anymore being the thing you're going to charge for. Precisely. It, it, it's a, you know, we, we need to think of ourselves more now as uh, coaches than consultants. Uh, you know, the consultant, you're, you're kind of holding out the good stuff. People only get it when they, when they pay you. Whereas now you're helping them to create the good stuff. It's, it's really a completely different model. Right. 
last couple things. I got one more that I had on my list here that I wanted to bring up. And it, it was something that was a hard lesson for me. A couple people recommended to me, not early on blogging, but kind of a couple years, maybe three years ago. They said, Chuck, you need to have more images in your posts. You know, you're a graphic person. Your book is just full of beautiful images. I'm an engineer and <laughs> I'm focused on the words often obsessively more than I am the accompanying images. As soon as I started to force myself to go to the free image base uh, that Wikipedia has or what have you and get a related image to the stuff, it just upped our readership huge. You know, the words are important, but there's something actually really engaging about having that headline image, even if it's uh, just a stock image. One of the tricks that I learned was that if you put an image right up at the top, widen it out a little bit and narrow the text. So the actual column for the text is going to be narrower than the image, maybe uh, half the image size in terms of width. What that does is it gives the reader the illusion that, oh, there's not much text here. And they start reading. And if you have a good hook at the beginning, if you can get them, that's basically like your, your intro, right? If you can get them hooked, when it widens out towards the, you know, the bulk of the post, they'll actually keep reading. But if you start with a wide text and then have the image further down, they feel more intimidated at first and they're less likely to start. And if, if they're less likely to start, obviously they're less likely to read your post. Exactly. Well, you know what? I found that because most uh, designers and builders, we, we tend to be more visually oriented people, uh, for the most part. I mean, how many architects do you know that says, no, just give me the text version? You know, they all want right. the pictures, you know? <laughs> and, and so I'm kind of an extremist. I actually uh, begin every post uh, with a full width, a beautiful image. In other words, it has to be something really beautiful, and it goes the full width of the post. And, and then, then I hit them with uh, that first line. You, you know, you never bury the lead. The lead should always be in the very first sentence, uh, the thing, thing that pulls them into the post. And then, again, I'm pretty extreme on the images. I will embed images like every paragraph or two all the way down through the post because it tends to pull the people through. If they, if they see a whole page of, of just text, then, you know, unless they just absolutely love you, they're less likely to read it. And so I'll actually do, I do graphics all the way through the post. Now, I will say this, uh, a couple of things. First of all, a bald face self-promotion warning. If you go to Mazan.com and then images, we actually sell images for I mean, almost nothing. It's like 99 cents a piece or something. But the idea is, is to, you know, to get them out there in, in that they would hopefully be used in, in blog posts and books and in presentations and, in all kinds of stuff. Hey, I'll actually and, say, Steve, I've bought a number of your images. Your images are fantastic. And you've got your website where they're tagged and annotated so you can search them real easily. And the stuff you've put up there, they're just beautiful images. I would encourage anybody to go there. Uh, when you, you know, when you're searching around for a photo that's going to be higher quality and more unique than that stock photo. And like you say, that they're 99 cents. They're, they're two bucks. I mean, this is nothing for a good site. So yeah, go ahead. It's fantastic. Thank you. And, uh, another thing too that I've had really good luck with images recently. And I think it's, it's actually, the biggest part of my clout score going from the 40s to the 60s over the last few months is the fact that what I started to do is, you know, if, if you if you go into a, an image in your blogging software or whatever it is, 
there, there is a piece of metadata called the accessibility description. Now, nobody knows for sure exactly how much Google cares about that, but I've had a lot of folks that say that, you know, if you actually put something there that, uh, that is searchable, you know, people can actually find the images by that, and sure enough, uh, Google at least indexes it. I don't know how much weight it puts on them. So what, I, what I've done recently is on every image and every blog post that I do now, I do some kind of a, a poetic caption that goes in there into the accessibility description. Then what happens is that on every post, as soon as I do the post, then I'll go through and I'll pin all of those images to Pinterest, and those poetic descriptions are the descriptions that show up in Pinterest. And then I've had a whole bunch of good repins and all that. And then I also have it set to automatically go to Twitter uh, from Pinterest. And I've got a lot of retweets from those as well. Uh, but it's been as much the poetic description as it is the images themselves. I, I think they both have a good effect. And so that's something that, that has been very, very good to me recently. Wow. I've really struggled with Pinterest because my wife is on Pinterest. And I watch her where I'm in a different place. That's her place. And I have to say, you show up to a CNU, there's way too many men there, not enough women. Starting to get more and more women, but the demographic skews male. Our site, you know, where we can get demographic information on Facebook, uh, we've been in the 60-40 kind of range, uh, 60% male, 40% female engagement. We'd like to have that be a little bit more balanced. And I, I do think that for whatever reason, I know that the demographic on a place like Pinterest is a little bit different than our demographic. And I would love to reach that group. I think the way you describe that is a brilliant way to, to go about doing that. Well, really, I kind of stumbled into it. I didn't even know that that uh, Pinterest would pick up on that accessibility description until I just pinned one. And I said, oh, this is cool. So I need to write better descriptions. And then uh, whether Google actually cares much for them or not, people do repin them a lot. And and, it, and actually, I think that the demographic there is it, it could be closer to 70-30, quite frankly. Right. Um, if you don't want to be just one-sided on the gender side of things, then then that's definitely something to to take a look at. Like I say, it's been very good to me. Perfect. Well, let's wrap it up. Is there anything like essential that we didn't chat about yet? Well, you know, I just, I have a, a note list here. I'm going to just mention a couple of things just real quickly that, that yeah. I won't spend any time on. I do this original green daily and I've just upgraded it to a pro account and it's, there's a huge number of benefits. It's with a site called paper.li. And I've had a lot of uh, feedback from people that really appreciate it. I get tons of, I mean, I get retweets every day from when that thing publishes at noon time. So that's one thing to think about if you don't do that already. My images, the ones that are in the catalog are much less places where people buy an entire, you know, 300 to 700 images at a time, uh, all of one place. That's on a great new site that I found recently called Digital Goods Store that uh, does a really good job of, uh, of selling stuff where you're selling bits rather than atoms. Then also I do a fair amount of mailings. I, I do mailings only when I have something important to say. But like, for example, this New Media Workshop, when I've sent it out to uh, a mailing about that and someone emails me back, then I actually discovered that, that with uh, eye contact, which I currently use, I, they have the ability to do an exclude list. So I put that person's name on the exclude list, and so I'm going to do another mailing, and they don't get that second one because I know they're already not coming. So anyhow, those are just the only ones, only other things I wanted to mention before we wrapped up. Perfect. Well, thanks so much. I will put a link to not only your event, 
but to all the different sites that we brought up and talked about today. I'll, I'll put a link to those on the, the site for this podcast. I'll get you those too, so you can you can cross post them, and we'll link love each other again, right? <laughs> uh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, please do, because I would I would most certainly love to uh, to put all those up. Well, thank you, Steve. It's as always wonderful to talk to you. You're one of my favorite people. I really appreciate it. you. Take care. Uh, and likewise, thank you so much, Sharon. All right, thanks, thank and thanks everybody. Keep doing what you can to build strong towns. Take care. They know that America's one big pothole right now. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. Who made the city? I like you. I like your vision of the of the world. The United Nations Earth Summit, Agenda 21. I'm not, I'm not a big fan of Steve Jobs, personally. What are you talking about? I just, I don't know. I just don't understand what, why, what the big deal was with that guy. <laughs> I don't get it. He, he's like Edison. I don't know. He invented no. all this stuff to everybody. What are you but, talking but about? Did he? Did he? Did, like, did he sit down and like, I'm going to invent the iPhone and just sat there soldering, possibly welding, right? <laughs> Didn't he have, like, a crew of guys helping him out? Sure, maybe he did. So why, when he went to those nerd fests, didn't he have, like, an, like, a, like, a chorus of scientists behind him who helped him out, too? He walked out like he was Tesla. <laughs> like, tapping into electricity. I'm not with you. I think he just kind of, like, told people what to invent. Like, he just kind of came in like, I want my whole music collection in that phone. Get on it! <laughs> and then all these nameless, faceless guys... Yeah. Made it happen. Yeah. And then they have the big nerd concert and he goes out there by himself. No belt, you know, sneakers on. I just didn't buy it. <laughs>